you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Blitz, Homer, picked it up briefly, and Smith flipped. Wide open, caught. Disley, touchdown. What a start. Wilson floats it. There's Judy. Pass caught. Judy still going. Down inside the 20. And touchdown, Denver Broncos. From 64, McManus. Missed it. A lot of people were wondering if Geno Smith could hold his own here against his Hall of Fame predecessor coming back to town. And I'd say he did that and more. Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot of people were wondering. That's right, Joe Buck. But I wasn't. And neither was my guest tonight, Steven Ruiz, my uh, my co-president, I would say, in Geno Nation over the years. It's ha- It happened. The Seattle Seahawks won 17 17- 16 on Monday Night Football in the return of Russell Wilson. There is so much to get to in this game, but Stephen, uh, for people that don't know, a writer at the Ringer does great stuff. We can get into all that later, but most importantly, has always believed, like me, not just as a bit, but in his heart that Geno Smith was better than people gave him credit for. It now is here. He just won this actual game. It's an actual thing that happened in the year 2022. I don't care if they go 1-16. and 16, They can never take this night away from us. How are you feeling? Never, never. It was a long time coming, man. It was a long time coming. There's been a lot of starts and stops to the Geno Nation agenda. <laughs> but we're rolling, baby. I, seriously, I though, did you ever it. think this day would come? Because I kept thinking during the game, and we will go through it all and really give a real breakdown, and there's obviously more to talk about than G- other than Geno Smith. But his performance, which was fantastic, is certainly a big story. There were moments throughout the game where I was just like, I I kind of can't believe this because I, I didn't think he'd ever really get a, a chance as a week one starter, much less as a week one starter on the team that he just, you know, understudied for Russell Wilson in this moment and that the crowd would be chanting Gino, Gino, like throughout the game, early, often, and then to finish it, like I, 
it just uh i don't know storybook I, stuff storybook i was gonna stuff, say I'm, I'm speechless but all i am doing is honking too much uh let's let's get into the the game of it all steven um I think let's start at the end and move our way backwards. Because as amazing as Gino uh, was in the first half of this game, in the in the Seahawks only had three possessions in the second half. Uh, the story at the game at the end of the game was obviously that last possession with Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, and I, I do kind of want to go over that first because that's that was the most bizarre four minute drive to end a game that I can remember with. Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson both simultaneously sort of freezing up and them ending up going for that. Yeah. That long mid 60 yard field goal for Brandon McManus. Just casually, just asking your kicker to break an NFL record. The second longest <laughs> kick in NFL history, just casually. You had plenty of time, but like, I felt like we spent so much time during the off season discussing whether like Russell Wilson w- will work in this offense and how he left Seattle and I feel like Nathaniel Hackett being a first-year coach and a guy that's kind of – it feels like he's out of his depth already. Oof. And he hasn't had, like, a great – he hasn't had multiple years. Like, as a good offensive coordinator, he had the years with uh, Green Bay, but that was obviously – Matt LaFleur was calling the plays. Uh, it, this was as rough as a first game as you can come up with. It was not even just the field goal going back the drive before that, the, the fourth down, I think it was from the nine yard line. You have Russell Wilson, you're paying him a quarter billion dollars. You got to go for it there. The field goal just cuts the, you had a one possession, you cut it to uh, another one possession. And then you end up with a 64 yard field goal, just a horror show. Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, so I'm I'm like the worst uh, podcast host here. This is why we have Dan Hansis usually do it. He sets up the game. He puts it all in order. He would probably let the guests speak a little more than like 10 seconds in the first three minutes of the show. But I'm just sort of losing my mind. But to set the, the table, Russell Wilson and the Broncos were down, as you mentioned, 17-13 uh, heading into the fourth quarter. There had been no scoring in the third quarter at all. The Broncos had moved the ball incredibly well, I would say, throughout the night. They ended up with 433 yards, which is a lot when you only had seven real possessions uh, or eight real possessions in that game. They, they were moving the ball at will. They're winning physically. And at, in the fourth quarter, it felt like they were getting anything they want, but they kept getting stopped inside the 10-yard line. And you mentioned one of them, not where they lost the fumble, but where they end up kicking that field goal. They get a quick three and out from Geno. It was the first uh, three and out of the game by either side. And then they get the ball back with four minutes and two seconds left in all three timeouts. And the thought there is, in a perfect world, we have all the time in the world. We are kind of getting what we want for the most part. We have crazy mismatches on the outside. Our running game for the most part has been great. Uh, and Russell Wilson's effect of getting the ball out quickly kind of in the flats to his tight ends. And, and you should be able to move the ball down the field slowly, try to burn all the clock and go win the ball game on a field goal. They've gotten into field goal range literally every possession that they had the whole game. Let's do that. And that was apparently what they were trying to do early in the drive. They weren't taking um, any rush with the ball. They're letting the playcock go down. Seattle actually ends up using a timeout, uh, trying to challenge a call that didn't work. It ends up being a first down for Denver and they're taking their time. And I'm actually thinking this is really smart at some point. Like when did you realize that they actually had no idea what they were doing? They were wasting their time and they, they wouldn't even use those timeouts in the end. 
it was that last snap like and their <laughs> right. pre-snap operation was bad all game like I, it felt like russell wilson was fighting the play clock all game long and i i thought russ was gonna call height there and all of a sudden he calls timeout and then the kicking unit comes on and then the funny thing is nathaniel hackett starts to use his timeouts after the seahawks get the ball back with like six <laughs> seconds left then he uses the timeouts to stop the kneeling at six seconds it just I'm astounded. I'm astounded. You would think like when you, when you become a head coach, that's the first thing you kind of study and you lock down. And then just to have that happen in the first game, I mean, I'm not going to write him off after one game, but it's, it's, it's gotta be hard to have confidence in him going forward, at least for this season. Right. I put a little bit of it on Russell Wilson. I I guess it it should be on the coach, but like if, if Tom Brady is running that team, like, there's no way any of that happens. Like, couldn't he have overridden what was going on at some point to play like a little faster? So they get their last first down of the game uh, with uh, coming out of the two minute warning. It was that nine yard pass to Javante Williams. He does not go out of bounds. And again, I think like, okay, that's that's bad situational football by Broncos. He sh- should go out of bounds. Then again, like, they actually shouldn't mind milking the clock a little bit. There's still right. two minutes. I can almost hear Tony Romo in my head. Hey, you have plenty of time. You got all three timeouts. Don't be in a hurry. That said, they don't take the next snap till 124 left on the clock. That snap goes totally bonkers. Cody Barton makes a great play in the backfield. Again, it seemed to be some sort of snap operation where it was confusing at the last second. There was a problem for Russell Wilson all night. Barton gets injured on the play, so it ends up being a Seahawks timeout. And and after that, there's incompletion, a short pass, uh, an incompletion, a short pass again to Javante Williams who breaks a tackle, and that was it. That was the end of the game. There was then they kicked the field goal. At that point, it was fourth and five. Do you think there was any thought of like we don't totally trust where our offense is right now uh, out of Russell Wilson to get those five yards, and we'd rather have Brandon McManus kick it? I I don't know. There's no reason to think that though. Like you said, they were moving the ball, and especially the last couple drives, it seemed like Seattle had backed off. They were playing a lot of like soft zone coverage, and if you just wanted to dump a pass off to Javante Williams for like five yards, they could have had it and they had the timeouts to stop the clock. It was just a bizarre, bizarre decision. Right. Cause when, when Javante Williams got tackled there, there was more than 50 seconds left in the game and they had all three timeouts. (laughs) Like what, it, what, it, what would even be the, I guess if they don't pick up the first up, but you're, you're losing at that point, you're under a minute left and you're losing the game. It makes no sense whatsoever. Obviously. Yeah, it's 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 not good. And I I know we've said that the offense was really moving the ball, but that I think like the things we feared about what this offense would become with Russ is that like every offense in Seattle became the Russ offense where you're just living out of structure and you're throwing it deep. And I think we saw that. And and although they put up points and or they moved the ball, at least they didn't score. They didn't finish off drives. It never felt like they got in a rhythm as an offense until the fourth quarter when they started going up tempo and they started going hurry up. Before that, I felt like there was, there was a lack of synergy between their under center stuff, which I think they really leaned on early and their shotgun stuff. Right. And for this offense to work, it's the Shanahan McVay type of offense where everything is kind of interconnected and you need to set up the play action passes with the run game. And the run game was working. The deep passing game was working when Russ was in the gun and kind of doing stuff out of structure. But the play action passing from under center, Russ's A dot tonight was 3.2 yards. Ooh. It was all flats. It was, all, it was like all throws to the flat off play action. A lot of boots. They didn't have that mid range game. And that's always what drives this 
type of offense. Like you think about like even the Jared Goff days in Los Angeles, it was always those deep overs, Jimmy G in San Francisco, the same thing, uh, Aaron Rodgers in green Bay, but we didn't get that with Russ. So, you know, you look at the stats, you see that Russ is average, almost like 10 yards per attempt. But, he ends up with 340 yards. Judy goes over hundred and Sutton goes over 72, but you don't, you don't think they, it really was a good feel. I'm with you. No, no it's, I, I think it's going to be hard to sustain. There was no completions over the middle like over 10 yards, 10 to 20 yards. And that's like an area of the field you really have to attack in this offense in particular. And they just were unable to do it. And I think, I mean, I you have to go back and watch the film, but I'm pretty sure Aikman said that Jerry Judy was running wide open over the middle on the play. I think it was the last play before the field goal when he checked yes, it down to Jerry Devontae Judy, Williams. They said, said was running wide open over the middle. That's where Russell kind of misses throws. He kind of motioned, like, how come the ball didn't come my way? He ends up going to Devontae Williams. Uh, who does break a tackle. It could have been like fourth and 10, and it actually would have saved Nathaniel Hackett uh, from this nightmare because I doubt he would have lined up uh, McManus for a 68-yarder or a 70-yarder. They probably would have just gone for the fourth and 10, but Russell didn't see that. And that's why I don't want to be like too critical on Russell Wilson when, like I said, they only had eight possessions. They they moved the ball that well. But people smarter than me are are watching this game. Sean King, my my favorite two-lane quarterback of all time, and just saying like, Russell is so off tonight. There were those two throws into the end zone, um, one of which should have been picked off by Quandre Diggs. It went through his hands where he throw inside uh, on the, I think it was like a go route essentially. Mm -hmm. And then he threw inside on another um, vertical route on the outside that should have gone to the outside later. And I wouldn't say that Russell Wilson was so off in this game, um, but it almost felt like the the situation, not to get inside the head of it, like everyone was amped up in this game. And and he didn't seem to be seeing the field too well. Jamal Adams also uh, had his, uh, you know, annual or almost uh, almost gamely uh, every game. He has a, a ball go off his helmet at some point early in the game. Unfortunately, he went down with an injury. And it just felt like. Yeah, Russell Wilson's been in the league a long time, but Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett have not been in the league a long time together, and especially the two-minute operation, which you saw at the end, which Russell Wilson's usually good at, and then just getting the snap off and and having everything set before the snap was a nightmare. They had three delay of games, and the fumble on the goal line, uh, one of the fumbles on the goal line, I have to point out, because there was more than one inside the 10, uh, was partly because Russell Wilson did not get the ball snapped until the very last second and it was another frantic operation where the defensive lineman on that play I think it was Al Woods I, w- I wish I knew off the top of my head you know was, could see yeah, that it's was. going from one to zero and is just flying off the ball and the offensive line really wasn't ready for it and he ends up causing a fumble on that play so their operation just was very weak one which we've seen around the league uh, but but is a concern yeah and there was such like a big thing made about Russell Wilson really taking ownership of this offense. So I do think like it's fair to criticize him for even the the last snap where they let the clock run down. So I, I'm going to take every opportunity to put it on Russell Wilson. Wow. He, it, that's it. I'm trying to hype up my man, Gina. Okay. Let, let's get to the good stuff here. I mean, people, people are listening to this thinking like, I can't believe you Love just spent like eight minutes or 10 minutes talking about the end of the game and Russell Wilson before getting to Gino. I don't think I've ever had, uh, my mentions be as active in a single NFL game in my entire life. I I don't know about you, Stephen. What about you? No, no. It, it, it really? Was, it was every every second I was getting a, a notification on my phone. Like what is and it? I, I was 
what does it say about us? So, like, in in theory, it would be great. You know, I would love it if if Mark and and Dan were here on this podcast, too, with me. We're trying something different on Monday nights. We're going to have a guest every week, and and they'll have their say on Tuesday, too. I know that they'd be giving me grief right now. Steven, they'd be hating life. They were absolutely rooting for the Broncos because they knew I'd be so insufferable uh, for the rest of the week because of this. But this is not the fair and balanced podcast. We're going to bury Russell Wilson, and we're going to praise Geno Smith. And he gave us so much to praise. Was it even better? And I know they didn't score in the second half and the final score is 17-16, but in terms of Geno's performance, what was it even a little better than you, you dared dreamed, Steven Ruiz? Oh, yeah. I, I was telling people <laughs> I'm going to be unbearable when he goes 17 for 31 for like 200 yards and one touchdown, but he did much better than that. He did much better than that. 23 and for like 28 the- for 195 and two. Nice. No turnovers. Or no, Yeah, no picks. I know he made that one throw, the cross field throw, but that was a dime. Just, I, I didn't expect him to be that good. And I think he, he made some plays that were unsustainable. He's not going to be able to like move up in the pocket and throw those little floaters over the zone coverage that he did. Like it's felt like he did like four times in the first half, but this Gino nation thing started with one idea. Okay. And the idea was that Gino, Gino can play. Right. That's all we were arguing. No, we weren't saying he was a top 20 quarterback. We weren't saying the Jets should build around him. All we were saying was the guy can play. Although you, you do a, a quarterback rankings at the ringer. People should check that out along with our, our great quarterback index by, by Mark. Uh, I think they, they're great companion pieces. You had Gino pretty high. You had him above Tua. I remember how high was he going into the season? 2022. I mean, that 22. would definitely, I, if I was still doing QB index, I don't know if I would have had the stones uh, to put him there. But the thought is, and I think Dan thinks this is a bit, and to the point that I've held this, carried this torch forever, I guess it sort of is. But I, I always thought he showed it early in his New York career enough that he was like a professional quarterback. Yes. And and that he he literally never got the chance to. And because it was New York, he became a punchline. And people have this idea that like Gino went through this like horrible uh, string of games where he struggled. No, he he finished off that 2014 season well. That's the, that's the four game stretch. I they make fun of me on the show, and he's had uh, like a handful of starts the rest of his career. Literally five more over the last seven years. He never got the second chance after the I I K and Impali punch, and that's what he's been working on all over these years. And I think tonight actually gave some hope that. Look, he's look. He's improved. He's a 32-year-old quarterback now. He could be better. And I agree with you. The way he moved up in the pocket was really good. And when he's impressing Troy Aikman, Stephen, with his command at the line of scrimmage and all the changes that he's making and the checks and how he's setting the offensive line, like if he's impressing Troy, it's like Sam Darnold's not impressing Troy out there. Troy's burying Sam Darnold. He's not burying Geno. No, he's not. And you can't like this. This is all over Gino's film, too. I'm telling you, man, I've been banging the drum all over preseason film. He was he was calling out protections. He was changing the plays. It was something that Drew Locke wasn't doing. It was very clear who was going to win this battle. I know like the media in Seattle was making a thing about it because you, you got to you got to get attention on the, the QB battle. But it was clear all all summer who was out in, in front and what Pete Carroll valued. And then we saw today that he was like the perfect quarterback for Pete Carroll. And I think the one thing that people get wrong about Gino is they don't realize like how tough he is in the pocket. Like that's his main thing is like, he's a pocket passer. And I don't think people give him that credit. He's like an air raid quarterback. He was, he was thrown for like 500 yards every game at West Virginia, but this dude can run a pro style offense. And honestly, <laughs> he could run an offense, run the offense that this, the Seahawks want to run 
a lot better than Russell Wilson can do. Oh, speak on that. Why, I, why do you think that? Because when I was watching it tonight, I definitely thought this is what Pete Carroll wants to do. Now, I, I don't think he got the running game going nearly as much. I'm kind of shocked that Geno threw the ball 22 times or 28 times, and uh, they only ran it 13 times uh, if you don't count Geno's scrambles. Uh, they obviously didn't have that many plays in general. It was just one of those types of games. But they kind of went – pass heavy for the most part early or at least balanced like it was almost him being like as Troy said during the game yeah all right we're gonna let Gino cook a little bit show you we can win that way Russ I I mean it's gonna sound crazy to say and it's it's only sickos like us that think about the game like this and think about Gino Smith like this but I obviously obviously Russell Wilson is a far better quarterback than Gino Smith and it's not even close but the thing about Russell Wilson he, is he needs this particular style of offense. And we we don't like to talk about his height being a factor, but it matters. Like like we've covered, he doesn't see the field over the middle. It's tough to, for him because he's like 5'10". Offensive linemen are huge. It's tough to see over the middle of the field. And another thing he doesn't like to do is play from under center. And when you run this like outside zone, the Shanahan McVay stuff, you have to run that from under center because that's like just the timing of the runs. The outside zone play is hard to run from the gun. So, like I mentioned earlier, there's this lack of synergy between what Russ wants to do in the pass game, what Nathaniel Hackett wants to do in the run game, what Shane Waldron wanted to do in the run game last year. And if you listen to, like, Seattle players, they were talking about, like, Rashad Penny during the offseason was like, oh, yeah, I I really like running from under center, and we're doing it a lot more now. He didn't say because Russell Wilson is gone, but that's that's the quiet part, is that it's because Russell Wilson is gone. So I think... While they're losing a lot of talent at the quarterback position, the gap is kind of smaller because of they can run the scheme they actually want to run. So you're making so many amazing points, and every once in a while I'm just like laughing. And it's not because you said anything funny. It's because I'm just like basking in this moment that this is the most indulgent podcast I will ever do at NFL Media. We've been doing – this is our 10th season – and it's all been leading to this. This could be like kind of the the top, and it's almost a sign that we I've gone over the Rubicon. Like we're gonna spend twenty minutes on Gino tonight because this was the Gino Super Bowl. I don't. I really don't care what happens the rest of the season. Of course, I care. I want it to go well. I've said all along. I think this is a nine and eight type of Seahawks season that Pete Carroll like enjoys more than virtually any season he's ever coached. And and I can still see that all happening, but. To win tonight and to have the MVP, MVP chance of Gino at one point, which was just hilarious. Uh, and to hear everything you're saying, which to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and I think it's absolutely true. I think Pete Carroll, at a certain point, just wanted someone that would do what he said. And like, they, maybe that's not how the boss should feel. I was kind of on the, the hook saying, like, did... Ownership should absolutely choose Russell Wilson over Pete Carroll, but it became a choice at some point. They they clearly um, didn't get along ultimately or didn't agree on how this organization should be run. And I did find it interesting. James Palmer, uh, our NFL network reporter at the scene, said, you know, G- Gino and Russell, great conversation. They've always gotten along really well. Um Russell's dapping up everyone before the game. He's talking to everyone. He's on the field forever. Pete Carroll's out there. And Russell says hi to just about everyone. And those two men are like 20 feet apart for much of the pregame. And they didn't say a word. They didn't say a word. That's That's the real heat. Everyone tried to make the Belichick-Brady heat. This is the real heat. And it ends this way, I think, with Pete Carroll winning the type of ugly, weird game that they shouldn't win. And yet, it is the type of game that they have won a lot of times 
uh, with Russell Wilson. Gino, though, did um, come through on third and longs. I thought that was like a really key part of the game. He went six of ten on third downs overall, and they they were averaging, I think, eight yards uh, on those third downs. And to go six of ten when you're averaging, you know, eight yards to go is really good. And he was making good decisions. And you, you said it; he was feeling himself when he threw that crossbody pass. That's when I knew it was just like Gino was having an out of body experience. And then they called the like the quarterback sweep on third oh and short. Oh my god! Gino design run game. Gino uh, Lamar Jackson. A little he could do it all. He could do it all. He, he changes. He the play. was running a little too much. He he ran actually the play before that as well on a scramble, and he didn't get down and took a big hit. And I was just like, Gino's a little faster than you think, but he's not a, a good runner. You know, he's right. like Daniel Jones is really fast and not a good runner. Gino's not fast and not particularly a good runner. He's it's just like, like Jameis. Right, but he's still like Jameis. He's still like a little faster than you think. He he picked up some uh, key yards with his legs, but he was getting a little too full of himself. May, maybe he was just letting the the emotion overtake him. I mean, he was doing the fist pumps on the sideline. He was dancing early in the game, and then after the game, Gino with just the most uh, beautiful quote uh, to the sideline reporter on Monday Night Football. They wrote me off. I ain't right back though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. I don't even know what that means, but I like My it. Man. We didn't write you off, Gino. Don't you forget that. No. Does he follow you on Twitter, Steven? Not to get like too weird about this, but No, but he's liked a couple of my tweets. Okay. Cause Very he... proud moment for me. Yeah, same. And at some point he he did follow me in the last year or two when I I don't know, so I had said something or written something incredibly, you know, generous to him and at that moment he followed me and it was a big moment. He he hears what's going out here. I wish they could just uh I wish someone could just send him this podcast and he could listen to it on, you know, on on his drive into work this week. I had I had a banger that he ended up retweeting and then he deleted the retweet. But I like it was right after Jimmy G had signed his deal in San Francisco that made him like the highest paid player ever. And I com- I compared like Jimmy G's last seven starts or his only seven starts for the 49ers to Gino's last five. And <laughs> Gino was better. He was way better statistically. Yeah. Do it. Here's the thing. I, I actually think the defense for the Seahawks was more concerning than I expected in this game, which sounds strange, but they lost Jamal Adams. And this is part of the reason why the the Broncos should have won this game. The Broncos were getting pretty good push in the running game. They end up uh, with 19 carries uh, for over five yards per carry. I mean, when you're running for six, seven, eight yards in the first, second, third quarter, like you expect, that's a huge advantage for you. It should set up the passing game. Uh, And then, the Seahawks lose Jamal Adams during the game. Uh, who else did they lose there? Tariq Woolen, I, I believe, went out during the game, who was starting at quarterback. They benched their other rookie cornerback, Kobe Bryant. I mean, the Seahawks are playing two mid to late round rookies and then replacing them with like journeymen like Sidney Jones. Uh, Cody Barton got hurt at the at the very end. But like this is a, a defense that wasn't getting nearly as much push as I guess I expected up front. And that's part of the reason why I'm being a little hard on Russell Wilson is most of those yards that he got were after he had a lot of time in the pocket. He was protected better. And I think that's a good sign for the Broncos ultimately than he was for most of his, his Seahawks career. Yeah, that stood out. It's the Seahawks pass protection stood out, but I agree with you with this defense. The young secondary is really concerning because they brought in a lot of new assistant coaches. They're trying to change the philosophy. Pete Carroll's known for his cover three defense. They brought in Sean Desai. They brought in Carl Scott. These are guys that 
run these more modern defensive coverages. And part of it is that they like to, they, you need communication because they're, they're matching up, they're passing off routes. And when you have a young secondary, that's going to be hard. And you saw it today. There was like a lot of air in the coverage. There was a lot of open mm. receivers over the middle of the field. And then you add in the runs, the running game. If you can't stop the Nathaniel Hackett version of this offense, and you're going up against the Kyle Shanahan version with Trey Lance and Ooh, going up against Sean point. McVay. All right, let's not let's not bring it down. Let's just enjoy this moment, you know? That's true. That's true. This um this was special. I mean, uh like I said, uh we we've been talking about Geno Smith for, for a long time on this show, and um I was so confident, uh, Steven, on this show that this reference will have, have no meaning to you whatsoever. Uh but Leading into this weekend, I actually broke out uh, something I, I only do in, in a rare case. Uh, l- let's play it uh, here, Graver. That's right. The Rainmaker came through. I, I was just taking Seattle plus six and a half, but I did predict an 18 to 17 Seahawks victory. So you got them straight up. You got them uh, covering and then some like it all happened. It all happened on Monday night. Oh, never a doubt. Never a doubt. This We had confidence in our guy and he came through. Oh, I feel like I had one more like important thing I wanted to get to and I'm just blanking on it right now. How uh, about the Seahawks defense holding ooh. the Broncos at the one yard line on two different possessions and then another goal line stand to force a field goal? You talk about the Seahawks defense not playing too well, but those were huge stops. That's absolutely got- fair. I mean, they, yeah. their, the Seahawks defense over the year has always been bend, don't break. They've always been great at situational football. They've always been making big plays in the key moment. Like, you do wonder when you look through this defense, like, which guys are going to be able to step up? Do they have enough playmakers? Jordan Brooks, maybe. Not that he had a great game. Nuoso had a couple moments in this game when, when he came in on some stunts. Uh, you're absolutely right, Graver. They, they, made, they made some big plays in the big moments. Yeah, I think they're, like, a year away from being good. Like Woolen is, I think he's very talented. He still has some some rough parts of his game, but like in a year or two, I think they're going to be good, especially when they get this new philosophy really installed and the young guys grow up. And I will say this: going up against Russell Wilson, it, it just makes for a weird game. So maybe maybe I'm too quick to write off the Seattle defense. Right this this was a week one game. Offense. Like this, it was crazy how loud the boos were. Were you a little uh, surprised about the aggressiveness of this Seahawks crowd? like hating on Russell Wilson. Uh no, cuz I think I think things got a little strange over the offseason. I, I like back in March or whenever the trade happened, I would not have expected those boos. But like over the last couple of months there's there's been all these like stories and exposés that have come out. So I think it makes a little more sense. I think there's like a a little bit of bitterness from Seattle fan fans now. Mm. All right. So every Monday night uh on this recap, thank you everyone for joining us thank you uh to the viewers who stayed up with me uh, on channel five in the uk which is a a, a new uh a gig I, I got to enjoy this game live on that coverage and thank you to to everyone listening in the, the plan for these monday night shows steven is we're gonna go through the monday night game and i'm not gonna spend this much time on the monday night game every week uh, but it was just too much not to. And then we would fire through a couple little thoughts or some takeaways from our Monday film watching. Now, we went so long here on Gino. 
I'm going to do like a speed round with you because you, you are truly one of the best football minds out there. Like we're having fun here with Geno Smith, but people should check out uh, all of Steven Ruiz's coverage over at the ringer and everything he's doing uh, on the ringer podcast and everything. I'm just wondering while, while you were breaking down some tape uh, on Monday, Sunday night, you seem like a Sunday night type of guy. Even uh, you're on the East coast. You're staying up late with us. Aren't you? Yeah. I didn't go to sleep last night. First Monday of the, the season. I had to write Monday morning. You, I, I mean, sleep, at buddy. no point. No, I'm, and you're I'm up just, with us now. I'm going. I am loving Gino adrenaline. Oh my Dream, god! Gino I I love the energy, it. and and I apologize for making you work extra. Uh, just give me give me two quick things that that stuck out from you uh, on your film watching today. Bengals offense was the most interesting thing to me, and it's okay. uh, people are going to talk about the seven sacks, but I that's not what I'm interested in. The thing that really surprised me and stood out is the lack of perimeter deep throws that Joe Burrow made. Like Mm. the the Steelers were able to take that away. And I think the Bengals are going to see a different type of coverage, a different type of coverage this year. They saw a lot of like cover one, a lot of like one-on-one matchups on the outside, a lot of man coverage teams have learned their lesson over the off season. And Joe Burrow talked about it during the off season. He said like, we're going to have to sustain drives more. We can't rely on explosive Mm. plays. And the Steelers really forced Joe Burrow to, to take those mid range buckets and he was unable to make them and like he threw into coverage a lot and the, the interceptions happened but I, I think Joe Burrow is going to be better going forward I think the offensive line was actually better than the stats make it look but that's going to be a subplot to watch over the first month of the season we could have a little like Chiefs Bills situation from last year where they were having a lot of trouble getting those downfield throws I think the Bengals are this year's version of that mm, that's a tasty nugget and that makes sense I think that Mike Tomlin is like a bad coach for a division opponent to face in week one. I was thinking about that too as the Patriots were playing the Dolphins. I was just thinking how Brian Flores is the worst coach for them to play. And not Brian Flores, yes. uh, rather Josh Boyer is now the defensive coordinator there. And now Brian Flores is going to be helping the defense they play next week in Pittsburgh. But I was thinking Josh Boyer and the Dolphins were the worst defense for them to play because they knew exactly what to do uh, in terms of heating up Mac Jones with all these blitzes in week one. Not that other places couldn't have figured that out, but when you see it week one and you see how it works so well, it's like, oh, okay, everyone's going to copy that. Everyone's going to see what they did and, and try to replicate that. And I think in the same way, Mike Tomlin and Brian Flores uh, would be among the two defensive minds in Pittsburgh that I would not want to face in week one because right off the bat, I think you're going to see some dangerous stuff. Uh, one th- one thing I saw watching uh, on tape today, and, and we'll leave it with this because let's face it, this is all just like an afterthought to Gino, um, was, was how different the Saints looked entirely. Like all of their strengths uh, are – looked like weaknesses suddenly and all their weaknesses now look like strengths. Like that used to be able to really have faith in this offensive line. And I don't know, like they got some serious problems there with James Hurst, that left tackle and just the, the lack of synchronicity. Uh, and their run defense has been so good year after year and they really got run over and their defensive tackle situation looks bad. Then again, um, they're great at wide receiver right now. And if they get in a situation where they trail and if they can sort of figure out the balance of letting Jameis be Jameis and be in shotgun a little more and throw the ball down the field, like suddenly that could be a very dangerous part of their team. So they just look like maybe it's just week one, but they just look like such a different team than they've been the last couple of years. I'm going to give them a bit of a pass because of that week one weirdness thing. Like I, the Falcons, I think are one of the most unique schematic teams in the league. 
this year. Mm-hmm. They were basically running like a college offense with Mariota, and it was it was a lot of option runs, and that's what the Saints were having trouble with, and they're not going to see that going forward. So I'll, I'll wait on the run defense. I still think they have good pieces on the defensive line. And then on the other side of the ball, going up against Dean Pease, who's like the most creative oh my pressure designer in the league, he was giving them, them fits. So I, I'll, I'll that's wait fair. to – to be worried about the Falcons are like, uh, like playing app state early in the college football season, or it's some like under fun triple option team. It's like an underfunded, under talented team with like a crazy and innovative coaching staff, except they're an NFL team. So that's not really what you want, but I do think their coaching staff is, is kind of ahead of where their personnel talent is. Um, nothing's getting ahead of tonight though. This is it. Steven, we enjoyed. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having you on. Like they can't they can't take this away from us. Like they said it was a bit. They they never believed it. Let's hear it from Gino uh, again, Graver. I mean, what what is it? They said it. They wrote me off. I ain't right back though. That's the problem. I ain't right back. Let's go. They wrote us off. We ain't writing back, Steven Ruiz. We ain't writing back. That's a lie. I'm going to write back all night long. I'm going to be replying to tweets <laughs> all night long. I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> Thanks, Steven. Uh, again, check him out at the, the podcast, at The Ringer, uh, and uh, all of his coverage there. Uh, for Steven Ruiz, I'm Greg Rosenthal. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday with Colleen Wolf. Oh, that's coming up soon. Till then, heed the call.